You're ready to be premature wow, all over again. Wow, that's, that's impressive. Quick, quick reset. Yeah. Quick reset. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Licking okay. gin balls. It's just going to be a vicious cycle. Who knew the job was pro bono? I was so high that um, I shit myself at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, get still here. Somebody, somebody, everybody mute. Goddamn, you're killing me. My SEAL Team 6 went to SEAL Team 12. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with punching above your weight. The fight you get better. Well, I don't know what's worse. You're a ginger or you've been vaccinated. You sit around and drink and solve the world's problems, right? Hey, let's go ahead and unwrap this present <laughs> so, uh, and let the I... debate begin. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is another episode of A Spirited Debate. As we wind down the year and we fast approach Christmas, we got a good one for you today. Obviously, before we jump in, we will do as we always do. Gentlemen, how is everybody doing? All I want to do is zoom, okay, zoom, zoom, we're zoom. Done. No, in a poom poom. Or just shake your room. No. The last time we did this, the last time we did this, Haas came out of the gate with his boom shakalaka. I was kind of hoping for a repeat. Which was amazing listening was. back to that. I'm, uh, There's like this quiet <laughs> and then he's I'll start a boom shakalaka. Exactly. I'm bringing 90s hip hop lyrics every week. Is that what you're doing? That's so your that thing. You can actually your understand. Yeah, so you can actually understand what the fuck they were saying and how ridiculous it was. I appreciate that. (laughs) Nice. I mean, what the fuck is a and a poom poom? (laughs) Come on, anybody? Well, we thought you would tell us. Yeah. No. We lean on your expertise. All right. Then then stick to margaritas. It's what you know. Yes. So we are back. Uh, We got a guest on the show. We invited somebody in to talk about another topic. This topic is. going to be an interesting one. It's one that we have touched on before, but now we're kind of drilling down into something slightly more specific. But before we jump into that, let's go ahead and introduce our guest, get our drinks out of the way, and then we'll jump into our topic. So our guest today is none other than the doc, somebody that we have known for quite some time, 30 years plus, uh, went to school with him, and we thought it would be a nice change of pace to invite him in and let him discuss our topic. So doc, how are you doing today, brother? Doing great, doing great. Uh, it's funny that uh, we were just talking that the last time we uh, saw you guys in person was at the Tool concert a few years back. That was a great show, great time had by all. So good to see everybody again. And look at how much the landscape has changed since then in the world. It has <laughs> oh, yeah. changed drastically. Yeah. So, you know, thank you for being here. Uh, glad that you were able to join us and talk about this very specific topic. What are you drinking today? So I am not quite as adventurous as you guys are. So today I've got a peerless bourbon, uh, old fashioned with, uh, let's see, the bitters are pecan, magnolia, and habanero bitters. Ooh. Oh, shit. Very nice. That's pretty damn nice. I remember that, 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 that sounds pretty adventurous. He's about saying, well, you he's not adventurous. Shit. You got that, that, that like, collector set of bitters, if I remember right. Yeah, the missus bought me a, uh, I think it's a six pack of, uh, of artisan bitters from a company called... Uh, Crude, crude bitters. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's not yeah. agnostic then. No, no, no. I, I think I have like their. It's like a pineapple one, maybe. I think I think I saw it in your set when you sent the picture out. Uh, and what's the name again? Crude bitters. Crude, crude and, bitters. and they're what kind? Because obviously orange bitters for an old fashioned. This is you said pecan. Yeah, this is pecan, magnolia, and habanero. Oh, but so the a set has heat. some others like. Uh, like a salt of salt and smoke they've got a um like an oak and uh oaky one they've got a uh kind of a sweet one that's that's orange and fig based 
Uh, they're Love based there out of Raleigh. Oh. I, that's what I was going to yeah. ask. Are they a local? Yeah, they're local here in Raleigh. Okay. So anyway. the missus works in uh, the local uh, liquor and wine industry. So always getting wonderful uh, microbrews. Great. Oh, there you go. Nice. Okay. Yeah. What do you I have? Do you have the uh, uh, orange and fig and the toasted coconut and burnt pineapple? Yeah. The orange and fig is a great regular drinking one. And uh, the rest are good for special occasions. So. Hells yeah. So you literally thought you'd spice it up with a little pecan, magnolia, and habanero in yeah. your old fashioned. Very nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I, again, I appreciate you coming to the table with that. You say you're not adventurous, but I would defy that that's the case with something like that. We all just go with, I'm sorry, what kind of bitters is it, Haas? What do we do? Mm-hmm. Agnostra. Agnostra. Agnostra bitters. Mm-hmm. Just the normal orange. Not, ang- not Angostura, because no. that's a totally different brand. No. That's right. That's right. Uh, that's right. All right. So let's let's go ahead and continue the carousel. Let's move around the room. Haas, since, since you chimed in, uh, what are you drinking today? I am drinking something called, well, I got to find the name of it again. Do, 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 do. It is called a Sunset by the Bay. Um, I have been looking for, as you are well aware, I've been looking for this Don Papa rum here uh, for a while now. I finally found some, bought a few bottles, and I don't know where I was looking. Um Maybe been like a little things hanging from the side like they do. And it recommended doing this. It's essentially a tequila sunrise, but with rum. So it's, oh. you know, um, hundred milliliters of orange juice. Of course I doubled everything. Um, 30 milliliters of pineapple, you know, 10 milliliters of grenadine and then um, 45 milliliters of rum. Like I said, I just doubled everything. And uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm trying to get into tequilas. I still need Max Max help to, to, to further better my palate in the tequila field. But as far as this goes, this is uh, this is definitely going in the rotation for sure. I'm surprised you're not just drinking the rum straight. Nine I fingers on the rocks. The first time I got the bottle, I had two or three just like that. There you go. All right. So a tequila sunrise, just you subbed out the rum. Right. Or yeah, the it's called Sunset run. by the Bay. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. All right, Mac. Let's jump to you uh, as our chief margarita officer. What are you doing today? Uh, I'm not doing anything with tequila or margaritas. Um, I was kind of reading over an article that Haas sent out. Uh, it was either earlier this week or last week. The uh, 20 best sex toys. Um, and, <laughs> And I already know that's the pivot. I, I, I didn't see right? coming. We're, you know, we're talking about drinks, <laughs> right? Drinks. There, there was a, I'm uh, sorry. What? <laughs> there was a full body sex swing. So I went with a Singapore sling. Oh, um, oh nice. Which, see how I tied it all in. You're the man. You have to, you have to tell the story and paint a picture. Is that because, you have, is that because you have two U-bolts anchored in the bonus room in your house? From the ceiling, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just Those have been taken down. Don't worry. Oh, gotcha. Um, Boring. So, yeah, by swinging on the six. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, COVID hasn't been kind to me. You know, extra pounds. Apparently, your you rafters know. either. <laughs> so, <laughs> back to the drink. All right. I don't even know what's in it. Now. So you're you're care. a Singapore <laughs> swing right along. <laughs> it's a Singapore sling, so it is a gin-based drink. Um, so, it, you know, typically calls for the, you know, gin, fresh lime juice, cherry liqueur, grenadine, and Angostura bitters, um, being the, uh, the fantastic bartender that I am, I had a pre-made mix, uh, for Singapore <laughs> sling. So I added that to, you know, an ounce of the aviation gin 
uh, to mix it up, and then you just shake it up. Of course you did. Whatever rocks. <laughs> we, we, I said, of course you did. We don't yeah, all have we don't all have Mrs. Grinch living there to you know bartend for. So I get it. God that makes sense. Damn, yeah. that's good. <laughs> now, if you'd have that's made the first it, from, sip I, it, that's actually pretty good. If you'd have made it from scratch, would it be good? I think so. Yeah. Okay. You trust enough in yourself. I may, I may have to make another one. Uh, well, shit, I don't have cherry liqueur. Back to the mix. Um, <laughs> well, it was just a small bottle of mix. So oh, gotcha. that was all I had. So one and done. Boring. All right. Just like me. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right, Grinch, uh, we're going to move to you. What are you drinking today? Got it. I'm drinking an Alabama Slimmer. Slimmer. Grinchman Freud. I apologize. Yes. I missed your name, Grinchman. You really are leaning into the redneck thing. Yes. Yes. Emphasis on the slam. Sweet home Alabama. Uh, Well, Southern Comfort. uh, Actually, you cannot buy slow gin around here. Um, uh, So I had to substitute grappa. You can go with like a plum brandy, but they didn't have that either. So grappa is not my number one choice, but this was a pretty good one. Uh, Amaretto and orange juice and, you know, you garnish with a wherever it is whatever uh, there's ice, a cherry in there somewhere I, oh it's I at the bottom you. yeah oh, okay yeah uh, alabama slammer so you can't get slow gin in north carolina huh another fucked up thing about your of the four uh abc stores around us none of them have it wow yeah <clears throat> it's uh, kind of an old school thing anyway but yeah it, you know in southern comfort's not my go-to it's actually in the liqueur area right yeah yep yes. yeah and I just discovered recently that uh, that Monkey Forty Seven gin I like they actually make a slow gin. Okay, so I've actually that you ordered can a get yeah. in Austria. Well, um, all right, I'm not right. you anything off the interwebs. Alabama slammer, little anal bama slammer. Got it. <laughs> uh, I guess I will go ahead and finish out the rotation. So as usual, I decided I'm going to do a theme drink. Because that's what I do. So I am doing what's called a generalized anxiety disorder. And it is obviously gin based. Uh, I went with the Breckenridge gin. And so I am doing, it is a generalized anxiety disorder. It is gin. It's basically a gin and tonic gin, tonic water, lime juice, and then a splash of grapefruit juice, which I've never seen before in a gin and tonic, but I figured I'd give it a try. So that's what I'm doing. And what's the verdict? Well, it looks pleasant. I'm not a grapefruit fan, as we learned yeah. from the Paloma, Paloma that I think Mac brought to the table. <laughs> but uh, it's welcome. actually not bad because it's only a splash. And I think I, I went very light-handed on the grapefruit juice. But yeah, that's what I'm doing. So it's basically a gin and tonic, and it's called Generalized Anxiety Disorder. So that's what and I'm which doing. Which gin are you using? It's called Breckenridge. It's Breckenridge Gin. Breckenridge. Okay. Yeah. I, that, I, um, home squeezed grapefruit juice, of course. Yes, and a home squeeze lime juice too. Of course. Okay. Yeah, I'm not buying fucking limes or fucking lime juice. I'm just get lime, squeeze it, and boom, there you go. So, uh, are, are you hiding your face for a reason? I'm ready to cheers this. Oh, gotcha. Sorry. So, yeah, uh, yeah, obviously, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, Doc, thank you for being here. <laughs> yeah, another great episode. Doc, cheers to everyone. Glad to have you. Uh, cheers. Cheers. Prost. And let's go to work. All right, so we have everybody ready. We invited Doc into the studio so that he could step behind the curtain and see how this works and be a part of the conversation. This topic is one that, from my understanding, because it was brought to the table through Doc and the Grinch, was psychological help 
but as it relates specifically to men, men's psychological help, uh, obviously with COVID, Doc kind of set set the tone early by saying, you know, we all got together over two years ago in 2019 for a concert. The landscape from that time till now has changed drastically in the world, obviously, with the the disease that we will not name running rampant variant after variant, we are in a kind of weird situation or have been for the last two years. And one of the things I think that comes out of that is an issue in terms of mental health. You're stuck in your house, you're stuck at home, you maybe you're alone, maybe you're not. We talked about mental health uh, in season one. And that was a very impactful episode. And we thought we'd revisit it. But as I said, we would drill down and focus on men and men's health especially now in this kind of, un, I hate to say the word unprecedented time, but really for us, it is. So that is the topic. Uh, anybody that would love to jump in and take us in a specific direction, I would love to know thoughts, uh, perspectives. So what are we thinking? Well, I'll, I'll just tease out a little bit to see if Doc wants to open up with some comments. But yeah, like you said, we in season one, we, <clears throat> we touched on this as it related. Well, it, it came on the heels, if I remember right, from the news that a friend of ours from high school had committed suicide. Yes. And so we discussed depression, mental health. Um, I, I think there's a lot of overlapping topics from that, but this is a little different in that we're, we're kind of discussing that like in the profession, professional workforce and just maybe culturally men aren't as open to discussing mental health. They kind of view it as a weakness. And short of like, you know, I think there was an article, you know, the article that we kind of kicked around, there was a, there was a question that was in that article that was like, Hey, if, if you really had something going on, do you have somebody you could call? Like who, who could you kind of offload with to share that burden um, to kind of talk through issues because in the workplace um, and I know this was definitely true in the military, we, we had a huge stigma to overcome of like just being willing to acknowledge you were hurting. Um, you know, it was either perceived as a weakness that would put you at risk for progression. Um, there was some concerns about clearances at one point before they started clarifying that. Um, and you certainly, certainly wouldn't want to show it in front of subordinates. Um, because now, you know, like, how does that look? You're supposed to be the strong one mentoring and guiding them yet, you know, so that so you just hold it all in and eventually it, it, it starts having consequences psychologically, physically, emotionally, and then that takes a toll into other areas of your life. And in that, you know, just to some kind of concluding that thought, you know, like we referred to, you know, the brain's got bandwidth, that's constantly taken up bandwidth, it's ever present. And so you're not at full capacity in your other areas. And so now you're, you know, then it kind of, it, it kind of spirals and, and snowballs, because you're not doing as well in work. And it's, and then you're just like, shit, what do I got to do? And, right. and we weren't raised in an era where it was necessarily like, it's fine to say you're going to see someone for help. Right. You know, and that, like you that was an it. admission of weakness as Failure. opposed to, I recognize I need to do something. Right. So yeah, I just kind of open it with that. So with that opening, I'd like to shift to Doc for a second in terms of why you got brought to the table. And, and, and again, you can as little or as much as you want to talk about, uh, but you know, how this particularly pertains to you? I'll give you a little bit of my backstory and, and, and keep it, uh, keep it fairly quick uh, because it's, it's not as applicable to the, the overall topic. I want to get a little deeper in the, the topic. For me, I have uh, suffered from uh, cyclical depression uh, most of my life since I was in my teenage years. It at times is, is absolutely debilitating. 
we grew up in a time when and and it's still to an extent is is stigmatized but we grew up in a time when it was not acceptable to talk about that and so i was in my mid-30s and on i just off off the top of my head i think my third cycle cycles last between five and seven years um for me at least uh and i was in my 30s before i actually sought real honest to goodness help and it took a long time to get established with good psychiatrists good therapists um you know not all not all doctors are are great um you know not all doctors are, are good at communicating and so over time you know kind of keeping the story short it it, it came down to learning how to communicate because there's very specific terms um and and so when you kind of start to get into that arena and you become more comfortable talking about it i, I think um Grinch brought up a point Sometimes all you need to do is just say it out loud, um, especially when it comes to, uh, and you have to be careful about these terms because I know the, the, a lot of the content providers don't like it, but when you're talking about suicide, suicidal thoughts, um, a lot of times that's not, oh, I want to run out in traffic, I want to go harm myself, I want to harm somebody else. A lot of times it's a feeling of, you know, if a black hole opened up immediately beside me and just sucked me out of existence, I really wouldn't be too opposed to that today. And so that's kind of the, the feelings that I've always dealt with. It's never been an immediate desire to harm myself, to end my life, things like that. But it's, it's just that kind of um, loss of a desire and a, and a will to live. And so, you know, kind of fast forwarding, we, we go to, you know, why is this so difficult for men to deal with? And uh, kind of connecting that into Grinch sent me an article about male loneliness. Uh, and it's a great article uh, by out of psychology today. Um, it's called the high cost of men's loneliness. And it brings up the point that men don't tend to have close friends. I discovered during another one of my episodes that a lot of people that were I considered close friends at the time we're not close friends. I started going through some marriage difficulties in my prior marriage. Uh, I was going through the depression cycle. And this set of gentlemen basically were like, nope, we're, we're out. <laughs> and so you have that kind of that uh, inability to talk about it. You have that fear of abandonment. And then you kind of run that into just, uh, you, you basically end up, um, with with all of the stigmas and then you end up being alone in the world so how do you as a man you know admit that you need help and uh, you know and then go seek out help without it being considered a bad thing and then um, having having the understanding that by seeking out help you find the appropriate help like you said not all psychologists or therapists or psychiatrists listen well or communicate the way you need them to in terms of you know certain aspects. And so it's a matter of understanding, am I, am I getting the right help? I'm not, you know, yes, just talking to somebody sometimes is beneficial, but is it something that's helping me? And so I think that's another issue that men deal with is like, how do I know that I'm even getting the right help? You know, and is it going to be beneficial? Well, and, and that tends to be the way men are anyway, which is I want the quick solution. Why, why is this taking so long? 
right. <laughs> you know, on top of the complexity of learning the vernacular of the human brain, which we aren't necessarily taught, you know, you don't, in your basic health classes, you don't learn, like, unless you take like psychology in college, you don't necessarily delve to like the DSM and right. things like that to start learning the intricacies of how to describe, because you're used to going to the doctor and it's like, well, on a scale of one to 10, you know, how bad does your ankle hurt? And then they start moving it around and try to figure out what's wrong. You know, you can't do that with the brain. And, and I think what we're on, like, <laughs> it's a bit of give and take. And only when you get that mature dialogue and trust, do you start learning how to offer better information to in turn get better help. In the DSM, we're on what, five or six now. So, I mean, Shut even, up, even that is shifting and something, I don't know. Um, but, but, you know, before we continue, there is one thing I wanted to say in terms of, what both you and doc have mentioned is there was a study also done uh, psychology today by an individual named Ronald Levant. And he studied American traditional American masculine roles. And he came up with what was considered the base, the eight basic principles to guide male behavior. And they were emotional restriction, which, you know, you have mentioned both of you avoidance, avoidance of femininity, focus on toughness and aggression, self-reliance, achievement, rationality, objectification of sex, and homophobia. And those were kind of the eight principles that guided men, specifically American men, which I thought was interesting. Wow. That they made that I'm distinction. failing at all those. Well, mm-hmm. and, and what they did is they came up with a, there's a term in the profession for men or groups of men who are unable to identify and speak about their feelings. It's called alexithemia, which... I had never heard of. It's called alexithemia. It's a personality trait uh, characterized by the subclinical inability to identify and describe the emotional experience, the emotions experienced by oneself. The core characteristic is dysfunction in emotional awareness, social attachment, and interpersonal relation. Uh, High levels of alexithemia occur in approximately 10% of the population and can occur with a number of psychiatric conditions as well as any neurodevelopmental disorders. Difficulty with recognizing and talking about emotions appears on a subclinical level in men who conform to Western cultural notions of masculinity. And I think that is the relevant piece right there. It's weird from a Western standpoint, that's how we've kind of pigeonholed ourselves. I mean, how many of our fathers and grandfathers, uncles were like this, where they were very stoic. You really never knew how they were feeling Mm-hmm. I mean, they tell you how they were thinking maybe, but they never really talked about their feelings, right? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I constantly come back to this comparison, which is um, veterans really only like talking to veterans because they understand how to contextualize. Because the average person, I, I, I've said this before, you know, like when you say a mortar hit your camp or you saw death or whatever, the average person's like, they can't even conceive it really. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard to relate to as opposed to, starting a conversation with somebody already two, three levels closer to where you are. And I'm just, I'm gesturing up. I don't mean for it to be up, you know, vertical. It's just right in relation, you know, uh, degrees removed, maybe. Sorry. So so why are we that way as a male society? I mean, that would be obviously the biggest question is where did this pattern arrive or, or derive from and how did we get into this situation? And as doc said, it's a matter of, you know, most males don't have a very close knit group of friends that they feel comfortable talking to. I think this group, notwithstanding, I think for the most part, that's probably true for males. I mean, 
Ash, you and I have talked about this repeatedly. Like my wife is constantly commenting, like, I don't know anybody that has a group of friends like you that stays in touch 30 plus years, you know, and, and that relate on the level that we do. And I think that helps, but not everybody has that. Hmm. And most so don't, I think. Yeah. Most, and most that, other guys I know don't at least. And well, one of the, no, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say on, on that point, I, I was in the car driving my daughter's home from school. They, um, they asked, Hey, do, do we know anyone that's a veteran? And I, and I said, Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Mr. Grinch is. I said, you remember him? We, we went out to eat with him, uh, him and, and Mrs. Grinch. And I sat there and I was like, Oh God, that was four years ago. You know, my, yeah. my six-year-old was still in a toddler seat and I'm like, why, why have we not eaten? You know? Yeah. 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 So, yep. so it, it seems like in, in today's day and age, you know, despite how connected we are and things like zoom and, and stuff it, are, are great, but it seems like regular social interaction as a man is very difficult. There's always something more pressing. It's, it's work travel. It's, um, family things, it, you know, you, you, you always, and, and, you know, maybe this is a, a bad way to think about it, but sometimes it feels like, you know, if, um, if the wife, you know, comes home and she wants to go out and see some friends on Sunday, immediately, anything that I was doing is out the window. I don't even, I don't even ask. Right. Um, so there's a tendency, I, I think, to see that, that social interaction to anything else that comes up. And you end up in a situation where, oh God, it was four years ago. <laughs> yeah. But um, do, you, do you think part of the issue, Doc, is that as men, where if it is a emotionally related, we're very quick to dismiss it. So if something does come up, we don't go, oh no, we really need to focus on me. We're very quick to just go, no, okay, let's just, let's do something else. Or let's not, let's not focus on it. Let's not spend time resolving my issue. No, that that's exactly it. That's exactly it. I mean, um, I know that, uh, you know, when I'm having a, a bad day or something like that and, and uh, the wife comes home or, or the girls are having a, you know, something going on with them, no matter what I'm doing at that time, I just sweep it aside, try to ignore it the best I can and deal with the other immediate task at hand. And so it's, you know, in a way you, you, you feel bad because you don't want to be selfish. And in a way, you know that you're not taking care of yourself doing that, but there, it, it just seems like the better option is to deal with the, and, and this may go to uh, uh, may, maybe a men mentality thing. We, we tend to be more tactical. Yeah. We're very tactical. Happens, we yeah. act, we do it. We take care of it. You know, when we go, there's a, I don't remember who it was an author and, and marriage lecturer that talks about, shopping as men versus women but men go in shoot the deer come back out <laughs> you know women go shopping you know they, they go all over the place um and i think as men we tend to be very tactical so you know when you're dealing with mental health issues those are there they tend to be long term they tend to be chronic not easily resolvable and so it's it's much easier to um and maybe it's part of the way we're designed. Maybe it's, it's part of the way our, our hormones and brain works, but it's much easier to push that aside temporarily, deal with the emergency at hand, and then move forward later. 
I'm not saying it's healthy. I'm just saying, how much uh, is learned yeah. behavior though? Cause I'll kind of want to go back. I mean, if I think of my own father and I think of my grandfather, mom, like none of the men, none of the male role models I had growing up were emotional engaged speakers that that wasn't, that wasn't the role they played and whether by choice or not, I don't know, but they weren't. Well, and that tended to be the framework of the interaction, you know, with, with fathers, which is, I'm going to kind of teach you some life lessons. So we're going to go fishing. We're going to go hunting. We're going to do work on the car. Like it's going to be things that like I can tease out some life lessons oriented as opposed to you like, what's on your mind, you know, kind of stuff um, that, yeah. And then, you know, doc, to your point, I think it's very easy for us to, it, it it's a convenient avoidance as well because we are task oriented. Um, and I think about, there was a psychologist with one of the organizations I worked with and, and he said that um, a common trait of those that were there, and these were high functioning people, was that they didn't do well in undefined time and space. So in other words, like, hey, you've got your daughter or son all day, just hang out. You know, and it's one of those, you're like, just hang out. Well, well, what do we do? Like, I gotta, I have to come up with a thing that we're going to do that day. I can't just hang out. Like we're going to go to the park or we're going to go to Six Flags or we're going to, I'm going to come up with an activity to guide how we're hanging out because I can't just sit here in un, <laughs> undefined space and just talk. What? You know? <laughs> we do that week in and week out. Well, And I think that touches there that gets into another important area, which is that comfort of conversation with a group like this, which is what we've always said was a strength. And I think, Doc, you touched on it earlier, which was in moments like what you described, you learn who who your acquaintances are and who your friends are. Right. And there is a difference Um, because when it comes time to burden share, if you will, it's like, eh. You know, I'm busy. I'm not looking for baggage, you know, as opposed to if one of us phoned up each other, it's like that just became the most important thing right now. Well, but I think not only that, though, he's talking. Go ahead. I'm done now. (laughs) Um, Fuck. What was I talking about? (laughs) No, I think I think one of the important things you, you bring up there, too, though, is you know, you have to have a comfort level. So, you know, I mean, there's people I know, you know, that live around me that, you know, you were absolutely right, would be acquaintances, you know, and and I would say friends, but maybe not necessarily somebody that I would go to, to unburden myself, right? Because there isn't a comfort level there yet, you know, like we have, having known each other for as long as we have, right? To your point, yeah, I mean, pick up the phone, I could call any one of you um, and, and, and feel very comfortable unburdening myself with anything I have to talk about. Um, so, you know, and, and we've touched on it before finding that is, is paramount, I think, to, to keeping a mentally healthy lifestyle. Well, what I was going to say is I think the, this group has, we have crossed the line from friends to family at this point. I mean, this That's... long of knowing you guys. Yeah. I mean, it, we've segued, we're beyond friendship and it becomes family. And that's how I look at you. What I thought was interesting based on this topic was some of the stats I looked at was men are dying. The, the suicide rate in men is 3.5% higher than women. And there is a reported 6 million men affected by depression every single year. 
So, you know, obviously you say, I think there's like 151 million in the United, 151 million men in the United States, 6 million kind of a drop in a bucket, but obviously it's an issue. Uh, 62,000 alcohol related deaths every year compared to women who have 26,000. So more than double in terms of alcohol. And they are three times more likely to misuse drugs because of depression than women. So clearly women are better at asking for help, are better at identifying that there's an issue. And maybe it is. And what they're referring to is the, the issue of toxic masculinity. And one of the things I thought was interesting, and I want to ask you, Haas, now that you live abroad, because they do kind of cite westernized culture in men, right? Do men relate the same way over there to each other that they do here? Or, or is it something you even noticed? Um, so far, my my experiences, interactions, unfortunately, have been somewhat limited due to COVID. Right. Um, but the few male friends that I've made here, um, no sharing. I don't know. Maybe it's me because I'm an oversharer, um, and I, and I think sometimes that puts people who wouldn't be at ease at ease. Maybe because well, shit. If I'm willing to put that out there, there's nothing more worse they could say, right? Um, I've not experienced that being an issue. Um, I actually have two or three male friends here that when I meet up with, we can have very open and honest conversations about really anything. Um, in fact, one of them had to fly back to England because his brother got jumped and beat up by a bunch of guys uh, and was like suffering from like brain dysfunction and failure and all that. And he sat there when we met up one time at the pub and was like just bawling his eyes out talking about all of them, the issues you know, that he was feeling about all this. So, so far, no, that's not been my experience, but I do feel as though based on the conversations I've had, it's kind of an outlier thing because most European men are also extremely very stoic um, for all of the most obvious reasons you can think of. I mean, this part of the world has been through a, a lot in less yeah, than a hundred years. It's that machismo, you know, kind of that machismo of, yeah. You know, I'm a man. I'm supposed to be the stoic one who who carries the burden silently. And we, I mean, and we know there are exceptions to everything. I, obviously, you know, that's a broad generalization, but that is sort of the societal norm that we've described and experienced, and even in our own lives. You know, I mean, you know, even going through divorce, like with my dad and my mother, like I don't recall him ever just spilling his emotions of how it affected him. I still to this day don't know that. I really know, nor do I know if it'll ever come up, you know? Well, I can tell you yeah. as, as one of the only group aside from obviously doc who had been through a divorce, it uh, it's a painful process. And they, they relate it to death. They said, the only thing is it, because you suffer it as a loss. The only difference is the person's still walking around, right? So they're, they still there. So you don't get to mourn that loss in the same way you would if, if somebody passes and you say goodbye and stuff like that. So I can tell you divorce oh. is, is painful. And you typically still have to interact with them, um, especially when there's children involved. So that, that right. you know, you don't get to just kind of, you know, like you said, mourn and move on. Right. So, well, um, you know, and it, it, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say one thing I wanted to kind of ask. We talked, you know, we've talked about, you know, the kind of societal focus of men being kind of that stoic person. Um, do, do any of you think, and I mean, I, you know, obviously I've got a daughter, I know most of us do, but do any of you think that that is changing now with the younger generation? You know, or do you think we're seeing it be kind of a more open sharing relationship with younger men? Um, 
in the world today. I, I mean, like I say, it's hard for me to say because we, you know, we don't really interact with a lot of younger kids uh, and boys and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah. Like Chris was saying, I, I, I feel though, like Austrians are very buttoned up people. Uh, Italian men, I mean, and Spanish men are, are, are the, the picture of machismo, right? Um, Eastern Europeans, I mean, you, you couldn't talk about a more closed off, you know, man than an Eastern European, I don't think. So I don't think over here, generally speaking, I don't see that they're really wholly different than us, um, except for the two or three guys I've met, but they're, they're all either from England or France <laughs> or the Netherlands. Are and, they younger? Um, yeah, okay. our age or our, our age or a little bit younger. Okay. And I, you know, and I will say, I mean, obviously some things have changed, but you know, we're, we're not so far removed from remembering the eighties where it was a male dominated workforce and you got used up by your company. You either fought for a pension or retirement, or you got used up to your, co- by your company and you, you know, and people would have nervous breakdowns because they were just, that was how they they define like they uh how's how do i want to wear this their character was defined by the how where they worked and their professional success i will say i think that is continuing to evolve as people and myself certainly included in this i'm like i'm not gonna let my job define me you know like i'm gonna find what makes me me you know, now it's a path, it's a learning path, you know, it's not without its trips and, you know, I thought I might and this and that, but that's part of kind of self-discovery and awareness. Um, but I, I certainly don't want to continue to be in a position where my job defines who and what I am. Yeah. Well, that's and, interesting. And my, my brother-in-law has a really good phrase for that. Your, your job should be what affords you to do the things that you love to do. Mm-hmm. Right. It should not be what, like you said, it shouldn't be what defines you. It should be what helps pay for you to do the things that define you. You shouldn't live Um, to work. You should work to live. Yeah. Uh, And it's interesting because we grew up in an era where there was, you know, what you're talking about, Grinch, something occurred so rampantly that they actually came up with a term for it. And that was going postal. Yeah. And, (laughs) and literally that was people just losing their shit. Yeah. Getting to a breaking point and just doing sometimes awful shit, you know, and, and you know, and we knew it was, it was also and it, you know, probably still is to a degree um, common in Japan because there was such a social hierarchy connected to your profession and how your family was perceived and so forth. I mean, some of these other societies, like we probably will never know about like Eastern Europe and that kind of thing, because they're just kind of closed off. They're not nearly as open about stuff like that. You know, like, it's not like Russia is really going to, give us a bunch of stats on no people that are just, well, they embrace dark humor too, which is very cathartic. <laughs> Perhaps I'd die. It I, is I, okay. <laughs> I, I would like to pivot though, because obviously coming to the table, talking about this specific topic, looking at the last two years, since COVID started in January, February of 2020, and kind of the way things have been going through lockdowns, multiple lockdowns, going through multiple variants, getting, you know, your first sets of shots, looking at getting a booster and like everything that's occurred, you know, companies going remote. So you no longer have the same social outlet that you did. And doc, I know, at least from what my understanding was of what you had been doing, at least previously, it seemed like a very isolated job for yourself. Lots of travel in terms of what you were doing. And I don't know the job you've taken in the last year or whatever, what you're doing. You say you, you love, 
But I know during COVID, obviously the landscape changing, that's got to be a massive uh, thing for mental health across the board, but for men, obviously, you know, with what we're talking about. So the landscape changing and the isolation, the article that you sent out talking about loneliness, I mean, where else is that more prevalent than in the last two years? Isolating your... Oh, good. No, I was just say isolating ourselves from a masculine standpoint now compounded with the fact that we are physically isolated. No, I think that's a that's a great point. Now, um, as far as my job, it's basically the same thing, different company. But uh, I've been working remote since 2005. So I've not uh, not been in a proper office in what is that, 15, 15, 16 years now. So I'm kind of used to it. I'm used to the schedule, but it, it does. And, and it, it, immediately when you start, it, it's very shocking. You start to realize a few things. The first being how much time you waste at the quote unquote water cooler. Uh, there's no such thing as an hour and a half lunch for me anymore. I, I eat lunch at my desk, drink my coffee at my desk. But at the same time, it opens up a freedom of if I need to go get the tire on the car changed or if I need to go run a quick errand, I just make sure I don't have a meeting during that period in time duck out, come back. Nobody ever notices the difference as long as I've, you know, accomplished my work. But at the same time, it starts to develop this, um, uh, definitely a loneliness and isolation. I I have to admit, I'm, I'm a little bit flustered with my job right now because I've literally met two other people that I work with in person in, in a year, uh, because of COVID we no longer have, um, quarterly or yearly kickoff, uh, and sales meetings. There's very limited travel up to our corporate office in New York. So it's not like I can just, you know, and, and most companies that are, you know, relatively financially healthy back in the day uh, prior to COVID would, you know, hey, I'd like to come up to the corporate office and just hang out and meet everybody, go out to lunch, you know, chit chat, do a little, you know, brain dump, things like that. That, that would be fine. Now that's just not an option. And so it, it really it really becomes hard to, to find your fit and your place. Now, as somebody that works in sales, you, you realize I have a number that I'm attached to and a a number that needs to be sold. uh, And that is an easy way to kind of keep track and keep your, your goal oriented side going. But at the same time, you feel just so detached. You know, who, who do I call when I have a problem? Who do I, who do I ping when I have a question? Uh, and, and there's tools like Slack and obviously Zoom that, that help with that. But at the same time, you really do feel like you're on an island. And, and at times, it's, um, it's just not, um, it's not enjoyable. And so I wonder, we, we talked, you know, um, Grinch brought up the, the 80s and, you know, going postal, people burning out. But I wonder if the, and, and this may be apocryphal, but it, it seemed to me like, back in the more industrialized manufacturing era, you had a bunch of guys that worked on the factory floor. They all went out for beers. They all worked together eight to 10 hours a day for 30 years. Then they all retired and all moved to Florida. You know, it it feels like there may have been more of a, even if it's not a direct emotional communication, a support system, less loneliness, less feeling like you're an island, like you're doing everything on your own, then uh, 
there's a point that you bring up that, that occurs to me that it's more camaraderie, but it's also more camaraderie because the part you brought up is they all stayed in the same company working together. They're all dealing with for the same multiple shit. decades. No. no one stays at a company more than four or five years anymore because you don't move. You know, you only move laterally or at best, maybe diagonally within a company. Now, if you want to really move up, you've got to move out and move on. And so I think that's that's a fair and valid point that less camaraderie with coworkers because, I mean, what? okay, yeah, you, you leave a company, you made friends, maybe you keep in touch with LinkedIn, maybe. Yep. But, but probably uh, not. I'd like not, to- not only that, though, you... Um- you know, you typically lived in the same area as those people you work your with. whole so, life. So, yeah, it wasn't that you were just going out and having a beer with them after work. You, your kids were probably playing ball together. Um, you know, daughters were probably doing dance, whatever it was. So, you know, you saw them outside of work as well. Um, and, and so it made it a little bit easier probably to to kind of form that emotional attachment. Whereas, yeah. you know, now, I mean, you know, Doc, as you know, and everybody knows, everything's so spread out. I mean, you know, you, you could be working with people that aren't even in the same, you know, time zone as you obviously, and, and possibly even in different countries. So it's, mm-hmm. it's harder to kind of create that emotional bond when, when you're we're, meeting we're, folks. That right. Way. Yeah. It's, it's hyper-connected, but not connected at a human level, right. you know, I, like it's informationally connected, but not what, emotionally, what you were, yeah, exactly. What you were getting at there, doc is, in what you touched on Mac and Haas is like, you knew the families, you you were aware if they were dealing with problems, you'd ask like, Hey, how's your mother doing? I know she was in the hospital. Like those were the types of things you knew and that humanized you and connected you. And we've said it on, on this podcast a hundred times. We are social creatures, social creatures need nurturing. And so nurturing from a care perspective, not from a, how's work going? Like, fuck, I don't want to talk about work, you know, like, or, I mean, there are days I don't mind. It's fun, you know, but like, that isn't what makes a person. What makes a person is their, their family, their friends, like going, like you said, going to a pub and noticing if somebody's not there and you're like, Hey, where is so-and-so like you miss them. Like you look forward to it. And, and I read, I, 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 it was a few podcasts ago. I forget which one it was. I, I I couldn't remember the name of the book. The name of the book was outliers the one where they did the study of the community in, in Italy. And we're like, why are these people living so long? They were so intimate with their pubs and their social networks that they were just happy. They were just happy. They didn't care if they were working a market or selling wine or grapes or fruit or working, whatever. They looked forward to those evenings, spending time and laughing together. You know, like they were, they were very, family centric in the broader sense of like, they felt like a community as opposed to like nowadays. And this isn't a knock on anybody that I worked with, but 20 years in the army. And I still, there's like a handful of people, handful, less than one handful that I like, if I were really in the mix, I feel like I could call as opposed to this group, which I'm thankful we have, which is rare. It's, it's very rare to still have connections like this from high school and if you don't have either of those, if you're at this point in your life, the question is, wh- how do you establish that? You know, because we've joked about the, you meet a person for the first time, you're like, we're best friends now. <laughs> yeah. Do we just become best friends? Yeah. Um, so I'm um, coming over tomorrow. Well, <laughs> you, you say that and it makes me immediately think of the, uh, what was that, Man Park? 
uh, the SNL skit that was in that article you sent, and they'll show me like Marvel, 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 Marvel. You know, like I mean, finding those finding those threads of commonality to where you can you what you've met your people, right? Yeah. So now you can all be you can all be best buddies. I, I mean, I I I thought I'd hate working in a tap room, like dealing with people, and it's been kind of fun. I mean, but last it's night. New. Not only that, but I think it's, you know, you're dealing with people that have a common interest, right? Beer. They're, they're, they're happy. They're, they're, well, like, yeah, they're, they're happy because they're I drunk. I think we need more pubs is what I'm saying. Uh, are yeah, you asking us to in, open a pub? Is that what you're saying here? I think that's exactly where we're going with this. Okay. Okay. Look, I, I think it's no. interesting <laughs> with this group of people specifically, like Doc has kind of shared a little bit of like the cyclical depression going through a divorce and, you know, been working remotely for 15 years and the loneliness that comes with that. But I mean, if you look at the other individuals in this group, Haas, you moved overseas two years ago thinking the world was your oyster you're going to do all this shit and then COVID, boom you you're now isolated you can do nothing you can go nowhere uh grinch you spent 20 years in the military and then in the midst of COVID, you retire what is your life now going to look like right like your job prospects kind of go in the toilet because of everything going on uh you know mac yours obviously a little predates that but are, you had are been you with trying it. to make me depressed no i'm I'm saying (laughs) mac Mac, i'll get to my point i'll get to my point relax mac it kind of predating all of that a few years ago you know you've been with a company long-standing employee and you pivoted you made a choice and you went you decided to go elsewhere really unsure like how's that going to work for me you know you knew what you had here took quite the sabbatical right (laughs) yes and and it was good and then and then we get to me and, and my life's been phenomenal so I don't get it. You know, you guys are just. No. <laughs> well, that's where we're going with this. Yeah, that's where time. we're going. Yeah, you're all uh, sad puppies, but not me, fellas. I'm uh-huh. That's right. Uh-huh. That's right. No, I, I'm saying, and we've talked about this multiple times, like n- not to beat a dead horse, being here week in and week out has been beneficial for us from a mental health standpoint because we deal with the shit all week. And then we can come here and kind of unburden ourselves, not, not always going, oh, my week was shit, blah, blah, but just talking about whatever we're talking about. And that has been a huge catharsis, I think, for all of us in the last year and a half. Well, because, and- I mean, we didn't start this at the outset of COVID. We were seven months in before we started this. So, But, but I think another thing that, that, you know, I kind of originally was, I, I'm going to be honest, I, I ended up muting the chat, was, was the morning memes. Right, what? Uh, motherfucker! I, 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 I said originally, <laughs> but now it's like you, I look you come forward in deep, to that. You come in deep. <laughs> wow. I look forward to it. Right, it's a part of my soul now. That's that just oh, hurts way to start the day. Take thy beak yeah. from out thy heart. <laughs> so, that's not in your heart, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but that's the point I'm making. Right, as soon as I as soon as I did that, you know, a couple days went by. Something's and missing. I'm, and, and, you know, I would still check them throughout the day, but not, you know, necessarily right in the morning. Mm-hmm. But it was like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, my day is not right. I got to go see what, what Grinch sent out today. You and know? it's weird because he'll go like a week and do nothing. And then suddenly, boom, 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 you're getting spammed with a dozen. He's got to build them up, right? right. Yeah, I, I got to build them up. I got to find the good ones. I'm not yeah. going to just send shit. You know? <laughs> I get it. <laughs> let's, let's not stray too far from the path, obviously. No, but, uh, I think you know, one question I, I would like to to ask and maybe touch on um and doc i know you mentioned you know some doctors being better than others um and finding that right fit you know my mother-in-law was was diagnosed years and years and years ago obviously with uh bipolar and manic depression and 
I, I, you know, I feel like it's been a struggle trying to find the right medication, the right doctors, you know, for her to talk to. Um, and, and I guess the way I kind of look at it and feel about it maybe is that there's still just a lot of unknown. I mean, it's the human brain, right? You know, it's not like, you know, if you break your arm, you can look at it and say, oh, shit, that's broken, right? I can see right there where it's broken. You know, when you start talking about the human brain, I think it's a lot harder to, you know, to diagnose where there's a problem, what that problem is and how to fix it. So I guess the question is, do we, do we think, I mean, obviously with everything, there's, there's always room for improvement, but I feel like, you know, psychology, psychiatry, there, there's a long way to go um, to get to where we probably need to be to help diagnose uh, those problems. And, and I guess, you know, I, my question, I guess, is do you kind of agree with that or I agree do you think we're, we're better? Okay. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. It starts off and, you know, I am blessed with a fairly high IQ, always did well in school, very intelligent, can read books, things like that, pick up, uh, understand systems, understand computers. Not everybody has those same abilities. And I realize that, but I think it starts off and, and I've learned a lot from my good doctors. Um, we don't really have a language to describe what's wrong with you when you're dealing with mental health issues. It's almost like we're children. When I ask my six-year-old, she says, my tummy hurts. What the, what, what the hell does that mean? Does that mean you're, you've got indigestion? Does that mean you're having stomach cramps? Does that mean you've got diarrhea? You know, what, what does that mean, right? So in a lot of ways, when we're trying to describe mental health, we're like that six-year-old. My, I don't feel well. I don't, I don't feel up for life today. I'm not, I'm, I'm just down. Eh, I don't know what's up, right? And so we lack that language. Um, because what psychologists and psychiatrists depend on is things like, well, I'll, I'll give you an example of something I was dealing with recently. I had to, uh, recently come off the set of meds I was on because I was starting to have what we would call malaise. I was tired. I didn't feel like doing anything. I didn't have any motivation. Um, so just like getting up and laying in bed was, eh, I don't care. I don't, you know, no, not, none of that versus now, um, once we've, we've made some changes and, and gone through a few things. Now I feel more activated. I have motivation. I have the desire to accomplish things. I have the desire to, um, actually, you know, get up and, you know, accomplish. And so does the average person know the difference between, being activated and feeling malaise and you know there's there's terms like that and those are the terms that the doctors depend on so um so much to help diagnose and it's it's it almost feels like splitting hair some days uh are you are you tired or are you listless do you have energy you know all those little things it's it's very difficult to communicate yeah, that's what I was going to say. What's the difference between being tired and malaise, right? People, the norm, the just common person wouldn't know the difference. Well, not only that, we, we talked about it, I think, before, right? You know, there, there's, you know, clinical depression. And then there's just, you know, nah, I don't feel that great today. I'm tired and I don't feel like doing anything. But tomorrow I'll probably be fine. And, and, and it's determining when that, you know, kind of just blah transitions over into something way more serious. Yes. And, and being able to address and recognize that because a lot of people don't, right? They just, 
you know, they think, oh, well, that's just the way it is, well, you know. And, and, and I don't know, Doc, you, I know I have suffered as well from depression in the past. And part of it for me was, is I didn't even realize I was depressed. Now, you've been dealing with this a lot longer than I have, because I had my first bout about five or six years ago that lasted, I think it was like six, seven, eight, nine months, somewhere in there. But it was actually my, my wife who brought it to me and said, she goes, I think you're depressed. I think you need to get help because you've been like this for a while now. It's, it's like it happens to you in the humdrum of your daily routines in life, and you don't even realize it's happened to you. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, I, I don't know, I'm trying to find a good um, – metaphor or simile for it but uh it's like a piece of machinery that's you know wearing down you don't notice that it's straining a little harder or if it's a motor drawing more current or the gears are slipping more effort to turn it happens so slowly it's not like uh you you wake up one day and and all of a sudden it's all gone to shit it's you know I just, uh, I don't feel as energetic today as I did yesterday. And the next day, I still don't have any energy. And the day after that, man, I'm really feeling rough. And then, you know, you could be three to six weeks into this before it even hits you that, man, I've now interrupted the flow of my life. I can't get up out of bed and and take a conference call at eight o'clock in the morning. It's got to be at 930 or I'm toast, even with an alarm clock and six cups of coffee. You know, you don't you don't see it happen. It's such a slow progression, a slow downgrade until you're until you're in the depths of it. Um, that's I, I think another problem is it's people don't know when they're when they're going there. Now, for me, I've learned over the years to consciously understand where I am, but it takes a tremendous amount of effort. And a lot of times I miss it. And um, had a argument with uh, the, the wife earlier last week that I was very frustrated with her about X, Y, and Z. And then in talking it over with her, I realized that I'm not frustrated with her at all. I'm feeling like crap. It just manifested itself in an argument. Yeah, exactly. I'm here. I am, you know, blaming her for working and me having to deal with the kids and all this, all this other stuff. And, and that really wasn't the problem. I really have no problem watching the guy. I love watching the kids after, after school and getting to spend time with, with them growing up. And, you know, I love the fact that she's, you know, off and independently working and things like that. And it's, you know, but it, it manifests itself in such a way that I didn't realize that I was getting to that point. I, I guess is my point there. Yeah. And yeah, I, one I, thing you go ahead, Grinch. I was just going to say, I mean, when you're in the mix, it's very hard to do this, but there's still a phrase I love coming back to, which is, think space, um, reflective space, however, you know, however you want to characterize it, the same, the, the principle is the same, which is you just get a moment to reflect on some things and maybe do a little internal search. And it requires some honesty, right? Because pride is a factor. Anger is a factor. Like these things are present and you kind of have to nug your way through them a little bit to go. Like I was mad at the time, but was I wrong? You know, which nobody really likes and enjoys admitting. We're men wrong. What's that? Right, right. You know, and so I think, you know, there's there's that. And then what I was going to ask you, Doc, is, um, you know, like for you, where did that moment come where you were like, for the first time, I'm going to go seek mental health, like counseling, 
psychiatry, you know, whatever it was that finally was like, I'm just going to do this. Like I got to start somewhere. And then maybe if there's some lessons learned along the way, as you picked up on, you know, I, I mean, I, I simplistically equate it to like a barber or a tattoo artist of like, I came in with this idea. Did you understand what I wanted from this? And if I'm wrong, did they understand how to guide me to the right place so that we achieved an understanding of what we were, what we needed to do? So, um, honestly, I started to become more aware of my mental health, uh, during my, the beginning of my third episode, but it was due to challenges that doc junior who's, who's now 22 and in college, uh, was having with, with his behavior and emotional growth. Um, seeing him struggle and, and going to doctors for him, I started to really realize that I was having struggles because with, with, with mental illness, you don't, like I said, you don't, jokingly say you don't know you're crazy but and there um, is a genetic component to some of this right so it was seeing that that i started to look i started to look back in life and see certain um certain episodes of of things that had happened inside my marriage um certain patterns arising certain patterns arising um like in college, I was dating a girl, was really happy, and then just one day woke up and decided that I, I, I couldn't handle dating her anymore. You know, I, 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 I didn't know. I just and thought that, I was, so, like self sabotage. Yeah, you, you, yeah, self sabotage, um, smoking, heavy drinking, things like that. That at the time, you know, especially when you're younger, a lot of that you, when you're older, you look, oh, that was just, I, I was just a dumb kid. It's college experience. Yeah, college experience. Drinking, you know, whiskey, whiskey, weed, and women, right? And um, oh, wait, for, for us, that was high school. My bad. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> high school, um, but, you know, again, to, to kind of answer your question, Grinch, it, it, it went back to starting to have, I, I was starting to have some issues then again. I was starting on another cycle. And then I was watching my, my oldest son struggle. And so I started to, kind of put two and two together and uh that's when i started seeking treatment and i found a real good doctor straight up i was really lucky but then changed insurance and he wasn't covered by that insurance anymore so i went to a different doctor and this guy i would try to communicate with him very clearly because i you know, and again that's just the way i am i'm, a, I'm an engineer yeah yeah you've, you've already worked through the answers in your mind like yeah. i'm telling you everything we've already accomplished Let's just go. And this, this guy's probably like, I want to start over and learn this for myself. Well, he, he hated that. He thought I was lying to him. That's and so after a few months of him, I, I stopped treatment, but realized I wasn't ready to stop treatment yet. And then thankfully insurance switched back and I was able to go back to that doctor again. But um, I, I mean, that brings up a whole other wonderful topic of, of the insurance and health medical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've been down we have a road. podcast yes, we do. <laughs> yeah Not i've actually I'm, I'm with a private psychiatrist now i don't go through insurance for it's it's expensive but it's worthwhile as a matter of fact it's funny she went to high school with us so she was a year behind us in high school i remember you mentioning that yeah yeah, oh, yeah. small world <laughs> right but um, um i oh, go ahead back sorry no. oh, i was gonna say the the other thing that we 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 lack that we lack that framework, that, that language to really discuss mental health issues. 
but it also goes on to, and, and this is not a diss on the science or medical community, but I think we're seeing it a little bit with, with COVID times now too. It's not exact science. You're, you're not dealing, like when I deal with a data set at work, I'm dealing with a finite data set. When you're dealing with a medical data set, you're dealing with, what, what is it, 8.3 billion iterations. There's like 8.3 billion people alive or something like that right now. And, um, you know, so the science is not as, as clear. So when it comes to looking at treatment for mental health, you know, it's not just, you know, we, we know that there's three basic neurotransmitters. We, we have a general idea of how they metabolize and are used up in the brain, but everybody's still different. And I've got a, uh, a uh, hereditary liver thing that keeps me from using a lot of medications. And again, we didn't find this out until about five years ago when they started regularly doing DNA testing. You know, so we just, we just don't know what we don't know yet. You know, why didn't this medication work? I don't know. Well, then we find out, you know, a few years ago that, oh, I can't actually metabolize this medication. So it's worthless in my body. Right. But fact, in the meantime, poisonous. you got to keep being a father. You got to keep being a <laughs> yeah. husband. Got to keep working. Until yeah, and all this has to happen up. in real time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, and, and that was kind of the point I was going to bring up is it, once you, once you determine that you have the, you know, I don't want to say issues, but you know, you have mental health problems. It becomes a lifelong journey, right? It's not, you know, and, and maybe that's some of why as men, we struggle with it, right? You know, as a man, okay, the car's broke. I do this. It's fixed. It's done. It works. Um, with mental health, I think it becomes a lifelong journey because as you mentioned, you know, your body changes as you get older, right? It, it, certain things change the way they metabolize. So you have to start changing your medications. And, and sometimes that that's probably trial and error to some extent, you know, let's, let's try this medication and God forbid, this gives you some side effect. And now we've got to throw another medication at it to fix the side effect or find one that works. And it's not um, to say that medication isn't helpful or an answer. On oh, no, no, level. not at all. Yeah. But the other problem is body chemistry shifts. Once you've been the on the medication part, right? long right. enough, yeah. your body chemistry shifts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's like with anything, you build up a tolerance. It's like trying to constantly hit a moving target, right? Mm -hmm. And the well, target's also changing sizes, changing dimensions, space and time. Right. It, it How do you... Yeah, all sacks hanging a little lower. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's always changing. <laughs> a lot lower. As <laughs> Doc mentioned, the other problem, though, is, you know, you, you find that, you know, that therapist that, that you can really communicate with and you have that rapport with. And then, you know, your company changes insurance and now you've got to find a different therapist. And start you know, completely and start, over. And, and every therapist, um, at least from what we've seen, you know, Doc, you can tell me if this has been your experience as well. It seems like almost every therapist wants to wipe away everything that you've done and start from scratch because they know best. Right. Um, and, and they, they want to do it their way. And so you're back at, yeah, you're back at ground zero, it seems like. Yeah, sometimes. there's definitely, um, there's definitely a little bit of, and uh, maybe I'm calling it out a little too harshly, but there's, there's a little bit of ego. There's a lot of amongst ego. doctors. I'll say it. <laughs> but at the same time, I respect that because as an engineer, there is nothing I hate more than going into a situation where I don't know. And so right. almost always I walk into a situation and I'm like, okay, let's start at, let's start at the beginning. Okay. Let's, let's go back to, 
you know, point A and let's, let's walk through this. So I have an understanding of it before I start making decisions. But it's not costing you $165 an hour. <laughs> no, it's like, <laughs> that's the difference. No, but, but Doc's charging more than that. Well, yes. no, I'm just saying, it's like, you go to a therapist and it's like, this is $160 an hour. And it's like, you got to start completely over. Not to make light of it, but you know, some people are not financially in a situation where it's like, oh, I can throw that kind and of money at the problem. Right? It hurts. Yeah, Doc's yeah, in a fortunate position where. Like when you I talk think, about um, going private, it's like uh, some people can't go private, but that doesn't mean they should not seek help. Right. You just got to. Yeah, I think. And, and this is, you know, feel free to delete this is if it's an overshare, but my psychiatrist is $385 a session. And that's usually every four to six weeks. And do wow. you get, do you get enough benefit from it for yourself that makes it worth it? Clearly you do. I do. There I was going to go. say he, he goes back. So I'm, I'm assuming he does. Right. So, right. But Absolutely. I mean, asking, you know, I mean, thankfully, I, I make decent money at what I do. So we're, we're blessed and able to do that. I mean, somebody that's. Yeah. The guy working at the local grocery store be able to, can't, yeah. can't handle that. That's, that's half the grocery bill for a family of four for a week right there. You know, yeah. that's just not exactly not sustainable for a lot of folks. And that's um, I think that opens up the, the, like I said, that, that other kind of path is that our, our, you know, not only do we lack a language, not only do we, um, you know, really not have a good understanding. We just don't have a good medical foundation for long-term care. Yeah. Our, our mental health infrastructure was destroyed in the, what, in the eighties? Yeah. Under the Reagan administration. And, and, and no, no one's really bothered to build it back up in a, in a way that properly allows for everybody to have the same equal evaluation and care on the same pl level playing field. And yeah, it's, it's, it's sad. Yeah, I went to one doctor and all he wanted to do was hand out piss tests every time I showed up. And I was like, dude, you know, I don't have any problems with addiction. I have depression. Very different things. Some people have addiction and depression. But as my doctor, I would figure out that, you know, after working with him for you know several months to a year that he would realize what, what my challenges were. But, you know, not all not all doctors are good. Not not everybody has access to the care. And, and like you said, the the mental health infrastructure is as abysmal as it was going into the eighties um, is, has just never, it wasn't replaced with anything better. Uh, you just went from being okay. If you're even slowly or slightly off kilter, you're getting locked up and, and, you know, put in the happy house to you're on your own asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to go to take this back further to where we started is I don't know most men, aren't evolved enough maybe to say, yeah, I'm willing to pay somebody hundreds of dollars, you know, an hour to tinker with my inner working thoughts and feelings. Most guys are going to be like, all right, I'll just shove that down and just power through it and keep going. I can go buy an Xbox or a PlayStation and spend a couple hours doing that, <laughs> which, things in which the unfortunately face. exasperates, exasperates the problem. Ex exacerbates. <laughs> Yeah, the and I, I think masturbates the problem. <laughs> masturbates the problem. I think well, when you look I, at, um, you know, Mac Mac brought up a great point there. That's it's you're you look at how many guys specifically, and we'll we'll ignore the social media critters for for a bit because some of those folks make folks make decent money off of it, but you you always hear about almost like a lost generation in video games. These are guys that eschew family, 
work, food, <laughs> self-care, just to sit and play a video game all day, every day. What's what's wrong with that? Yeah, see, I just <laughs> want to point out though, I'm while I could be trying to figure out <laughs> Doc thought I had a good idea at least. So screw the rest of you three. Yeah, well, I mean it's he is it's, the doc. It's not unlike alcohol or other things. It's escapism, right? It's escapism. You know, yeah. It's yeah. it's it's avoidance. It becomes a world that maybe is manageable. That has because it is data, it's zeros and ones. You know, it's got some more defined criteria as opposed to the real world, which is emotion based. It's it's, it's frustrating. Um, and you know, we 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 didn't touch on this yet, but you know, when you're when you're in the trenches with significant others, you know, they're in there with you and they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure out like when to give you space, when to be close, when to ask leading questions, when to leave you be. They're right as much as they're wrong because they're just going off instinct. And there are but, times like they might ask something and in the moment you're too angry to want to answer it honestly. But then like in the car later, you're like, Ugh. you know, the more I kind of thought about that, I was kind of a dick. But we do live in an, in an egocentric society. And while you're in the trenches with that person, we tend to think nobody's got it as bad as we do. Yeah. I mean, and it comes down to, I mean, this is a bit of like more relationship advice in the sense that like, I mean, we're not always great about it. We're not perfect, but you know, like Mrs. Grinch and I try to say like, if you're going to have an argument, you have it based on love, right? You know, it's at the end of the day, you know, there's love there and you're working through it, but you still get angry. <laughs> You did know? she just out of curiosity yeah, we're still human beings did you, she you, write like you emotions. don't like losing arguments right did she write that script for you yeah yeah no, no we're in the trenches no. together paid pay, endorsement by mrs grinch hey i yeah, mean it's on a it's, coaster underneath the drink she right made it's right. well it's another element of this which is men also don't talk about intimacy they don't they yeah. don't always can you know want to admit when there are things wrong with the personal relationship either sexually or otherwise because it's an admission of a weakness right. and we don't like doing that right? as opposed to saying, I'm going to be a little vulnerable here because maybe somebody will have some thoughts that I just didn't think of, um, you know, and it's not the full, like it takes a village, but it's, it's close to that. Like sometimes, I mean, we, we've all, I think, experienced situations where a person who is not in the mix, it kind of has that third party objectivity sometimes can say things like, dude, you were a dick. And you're like, what? Fuck. <laughs> you're, <laughs> shit, you're right. I was. <laughs> but again, it's, it's what I know we, we've not talked in depth about it, but it is a conversation. It's like when I got my divorce, like looking at the three of you, looking back at my situation, you may have had an opinion about it. Never voiced that opinion. And the overwhelming majority response was, we, it's not our place. You think you're in love. And you'll, you, you think you're in a healthy situation, mainly because you're too close to it to realize you're not. And I get that. And I never expressly came out and said, hey, you know, what do you guys think? But I think well, if I, I had, I, I'm not saying tell me, but I think if I had, you guys probably would have been honest and said, you really want the truth? And I'd be like, yes. And you'd be like, okay, it's, you ain't going to like it. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, it, it's like the old adage of uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. Because mm -hmm. it's like, it's a respect thing. It's like, hey, at the end of the day, it's your choice. Like, who am I to tell you otherwise? As opposed to, this might be a fucking train wreck. Right. <laughs> and, well, why can't I call it know, space and, and grace? You well, have to right. give people it, space it, and grace. Right. Because in fairness, we don't know it all either. 
we get a perspective through a window that we see. And so I think that hesitancy to comment actually comes from a good place of like admitting you just don't know it all. There's shit you don't know about a relationship or a situation. And we've all been in situations where we're like, I don't need a fucking opinion on everything I do. Like, (laughs) well, and and you brought it up before, right? I mean, it's, it's the Facebook Persona, right, right, right. You know, that's right. We, all we, smiles. Point, we're seeing only what you want us to see, but most of the time, you know. Right. Thankfully, I think you know we've all gotten to the point now where well, you know we we see the good and the bad. Here's us know? arguing at the right. airport, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> You've seen me without my shoes in TSA. You accept that's me right. for who I am. Yeah, <laughs> we need we need to talk about that. By the way. Uh, <laughs> You know, obviously, this is this can be a powerful topic. And like I said, we did this in season one. We talked about depression as a whole. And Grinch, like you mentioned, like we had a an individual that was a friend of ours from high school that took their own life. And that kind of was the antithesis for that specific topic. And now we wanted to drill down in terms of kind of the male psychology and the issues surrounded with male masculinity and our ability or inability to be able to deal with that on any level. And I think one of the things that is beneficial again for us, as we have said throughout the course of all of our podcasts and this one specifically is we are comfortable enough at this point where we can talk openly. A lot of times we joke and, and for our listeners, obviously all you masturbators at home, when we, when we talk about on the show as, as debating a topic, we will joke and we will make light. We will not make fun of doc, right? We may, we may, uh, Try to lighten the mood right, or sprinkle right. in humor. And we've said before, day, yeah, we use dark humor right. as a coping mechanism. But at the end of the day, if Doc's going to sit there and open up and say, look, I go through cyclical depression, I understand what uh, I'm getting. Don't, I'm not going to lie. I don't understand what that is like, but I can empathize with the fact that that exists and that you have to deal with that. And that's got to be tough. And so obviously if anybody's listening, one of the things that we want you to take away from this is find help. If you can't talk to family or friends, seek help. Uh, obviously, making sure that help is beneficial to you and whatever the course of treatment that you need is. And if you have to pivot from doctor to doctor, as much as that sucks, then you do it because obviously you need to find somebody that works with you and it's beneficial. Doing it alone is never going to be the answer. And I think I, I expressly across the board, I think all of us would agree with that. Yeah, know that know thyself. Right. right. You know, know that self, know that, and, know, and, know your limits, know where yeah. you need professional guidance. Right. And if it means your family member has to sit you down and go, dude, you're off. Something's not right. If it's your wife, if it's a brother, sister, mother, parent, and they're like, something about you not right, then you should listen to that. Like with Haas, when his wife's telling him something about you's fucked up and you need to figure it out. Like, it's easy as a man to go, whatever, fuck off, you know, and go about your day. But if somebody's telling you that, if it's an outside person telling you that, you need to listen. So, you know, obviously in terms of being respectful of time, doc, thank you for being here. Thank you for being willing to open up and talk about this. Obviously you have, you know, been dealing with issues your entire life and you are at least at a point now in your life where when something occurs, when you feel a certain way, whatever it is, you recognize it. And that's not always the case for people. So thank you for coming on here and being willing to open up about that. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for having absolutely. me. Yeah. Thank absolutely. you very much. It was really appreciate it. Oh, it's great. Great seeing you. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah, though it's been two years. Way too long. Way too person. But, uh, and as always, for all of our masturbators out there, like I said, go seek help. If you're having an issue, go seek help. Uh, if you can't 
you know, go through a friend or family, go to an outside source, but be willing to talk to somebody. You do not need to do it alone. So with that being said, if anybody would like to check out our podcast, go to a spirideddebate.com. You can check out our vault. All of our episodes are there. We are pushing a, a hundred episodes between this and our sister podcast, Liquor and Leagues. Feel free to go out and check any of them out. Obviously you can drop us a line there, or you can go to spirideddebates at gmail.com and drop us a line, drink recipe you'd like us to try. Any comment, feedback, we'd love to hear. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, we can do our best to get you on the show, much like the doc and any of our previous guests we've had on. So please feel free to do that. And with that being said, gentlemen, I love you guys. I hope everything goes well with you as we approach Christmas time. Obviously, it, it can be tough during the holidays. Obviously, I know depression ramps up during that time. So uh, I hope everything goes well for you. And I look forward to doing this again next week. information or opinions expressed during the A Spirited Debate podcast series or any affiliated podcast are solely those of the hosts or guests involved and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the host or guests may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. While guests are invited to listen, listeners acknowledge that they are not being provided professional advice from the podcast or its guests. The content within the parameters of A Spirited Debate podcast series or any affiliated podcast are for entertainment and educational purposes only. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.